Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. isn't that Marjorie Taylor Greene does not know that Ukraine is in Europe. Maybe she does. Maybe she doesn't. Stupid? A Russian asset? Both? Whatever. We're paying for a war, a proxy war with Russia, when I've never seen Putin actually show in any detail his plans to invade Europe. No one has shown me that, so I don't believe the lies that I'm being told about this. That was 14 seconds in which Barney Rubble's body double crystallized the international plank of the Keep America Stupid Party. Does she not know Ukraine is in Europe? Irrelevant. She and the Republicans want America do not know that Ukraine is in Europe. Does she not know that nobody, not Putin, not Biden, not anybody would ever show her Putin's plans? Irrelevant. She and the Republicans want America to believe that getting to see Putin's plans is like ordering from Grubhub so that when the Biden administration saw the invasion coming before even Zelensky did, anybody could have done that. Does she not know that Putin has said he is intent on rebuilding the Soviet Union and that eventually, if allowed to, he will attack Poland and wherever else we will let him and that he wants to destroy NATO? Irrelevant. She and the Republicans want America to view these things and these places as meaningless events in what she called faraway lands, while the real threat is Mexicans. Mexicans who leave bombs at the border that turn out to be bags of sand tied up in duct tape. The goal of the Marjorie Taylor Greens of this country and the people who feed them their lines is not MAGA, but MASA. Make America stupid again. Convince them the threat is not something that takes three long sentences that they have to struggle to try to understand, but something they can just point at at grunt. Mexicans. Drugs. Bomb them. Second Amendment. Also, slightly more complicated, but really visceral issues like 
quote, Christianity under attack in Ukraine. Tucker Carlson, who on Wednesday, as we know, platformed a retired U.S. military colonel who lied and said the war was not started by Russia, came back and announced that President Zelensky had begun to close Christian churches in Ukraine and was arresting priests and nuns. And using that Martin Short, Jiminy Glick voice of his, asked, why aren't Christian leaders in the United States not saying anything about this? And then interviewing a blonde woman who had no control over her own eyebrows, whom he describes as a reporter, but she works for Ben Shapiro, so no, she is not a reporter. And honestly, she needs to recuse herself and focus on the important thing here, these eyebrow spasms. And of course, the answer to that question, why aren't the, is contained in the details Carlson deliberately left out, namely that the, quote, Christians, unquote, are members of the Russian Orthodox Church which long ago reached the pinnacle of where American evangelical churches are heading, which is to drop all that annoying spiritual and moral leadership and cutting straight to political indoctrination on behalf of the regime. It's the leaders of the Russian Orthodox Church who endorsed Putin's attack on Ukraine in the first place. Even many of them in Ukraine did this, and they rationalized it in large part because of the fact that Ukraine holds pride parades and pride nights and pride days and the russian orthodox church is ferociously homophobic and it is actively trying to subvert the ukrainian government and zelensky has been amazingly restrained towards it that's too complicated for massa and that in turn leads to the realization that whatever becomes of the dominion one billion six hundred million dollar defamation suit against fox or the smartmatic two billion seven hundred million dollar defamation suit against fox there is no oversight or control at fox quote news unquote and talent there and producers and propaganda managers and executives and anybody named murdoch have not been chastened at all by the humiliation that actually dented Fox's reputation among the right and the damage awards that actually could bankrupt that company and perhaps the entire Murdoch empire. Yesterday, the rotting carcass of former business broadcaster Maria Bartiromo interviewed Rand Paul's toupee as it sat perched perilously atop Rand Paul. The concept here was about Anthony Fauci, this is Bartiromo, sued by name in the Smartmatic suit and humiliated by a Steve Bannon offer to put her into the Senate from New York in the Dominion suit, and she has learned nothing. She is squirting lies all over the place. She said, quote, there were also these lies around the emergency authorization. They needed the emergency authorization to get the vaccines down everybody's throats. You may have taken it wrong, madam to get the vaccines down everybody's throats, but in order to do that, they had to prove that there was nothing else on the market that could actually treat COVID, when we all know ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, were effective, weren't they? This is March 2023, and this idiot is still playing this game with the lives of her own viewers. And frankly, we had better do something about Fox now. This year, something decisive, because we are now at the tertiary stage of the self-fulfilling Fox feedback loop. Kevin McCarthy hands Tucker Carlson January 6th video that shows literally nothing of interest. So little they had to reshow the same clip three nights. And they make it sound like it's 44,000 hours of the Zapruder film. And now, 
That having been accomplished, the House turns around and uses the Carlson video and his bogus claims as its rationale for appointing a new January 6th committee to investigate the last January 6th committee and to try to gaslight the country into believing that January 6th was just sightseers and hooligans and Nancy Pelosi security failures. And the chairman of this will be Barry frickin' Loudermilk. Barry Loudermilk, last seen leading an unauthorized tour of people through the rarely visited underground passages and security areas of the Capitol on January 5th. Thus, we have this disinformation machine, this cable house of Tokyo roses pushed into overdrive on COVID, on Ukraine, on January 6th. And we have no effective means of shutting it down because somebody in a Senate polling office somewhere said Chuck Schumer should complain about Fox whenever possible. But he cannot possibly actually convene a Senate investigation committee asking the questions you and I would ask, like if the obvious goal of Fox and Murdoch and Carlson and all these other scums is to destroy this nation and its form of government, who is benefiting financially and are there foreign interests involved? And even if there are no foreign interests involved, at least, at least Chuck Schumer, There'd be something to put on TV to counter-program the new Barry Loudermilk subcommittee to clear Barry Loudermilk. This is SportsCenter. Wait, check that. Not anymore. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. In sports, slight format change in this episode as I continue to plow through what turns out to be a stomach bug. I know, TMI, sorry. Okay, I've been saying this since the year 2009, and now it's time to actually do something about it. Stop the World Baseball Classic before it kills again. Yesterday, the relief pitcher, closer, Edwin Diaz, whom the New York Mets re-signed last winter for five years and $102 million, underwent surgery to repair his right patellar tendon, which he fully tore. That is what keeps your kneecap in place. If Diaz is lucky, he will be ready to pitch in November, which coincidentally is when the World Baseball Classic should be played, if at all. They're not saying this because why would you? But there is no guarantee Diaz will in fact ever pitch again. That tendon in the right knee basically anchors a right-handed pitcher like Diaz as he focuses all of his energy and strength and as he starts to go into his windup to throw a pitch. If it is not perfect or at least sound, his pitches could lose their speed or he could lose control of where it's going. When that happens, he can't get anybody out. It's bad either way. And Diaz suffered this injury while celebrating with his teammates in a preliminary round victory in this World Baseball Classic. Not in the title game, not in the penultimate game, not in the quarterfinal, the last preliminary game of the preliminary round. Oh, and not his team, the New York Mets, winning the World Series or the National League playoffs or the earlier rounds of the playoffs or clinching their division. The World Baseball Classic. 
The World Baseball Classic was created in 2009 by Major League Baseball so it could charge higher prices to televise meaningless March preseason baseball and to sell replica baseball uniforms and caps with Puerto Rico and Mexico and Japan and Israel and the United States written on them. Baseball saw international sports events like the Olympics and like soccer's World Cup and said, we should do one of them. And poof, there it was. National teams were assembled, hand-picked whoever would show up. This isn't soccer. There's no competition to make the team. And most of them play all of their games through the entirety of the tournament in the United States. There's a couple of games in other countries. There were some this year in Japan. But the quarterfinals, the semis, the championship are in Miami. And as enthusiastic as American fans of, say, Dominican heritage or Mexican or Japanese have understandably become about this, most of the teams on the fringes of this tournament, like Italy and Great Britain, feature players who've never actually been to Italy or Great Britain. There were 38 players on this year's Great Britain team, and six of them were born in that country, and then one of the letters fell off the uniforms of one of those players during one of their games. They were not the favorites. This is not to diminish the pride these players can have in representing the nations of their ancestors, although a little perspective would be nice. National League Most Valuable Player Freddie Freeman is from Orange County, California. His folks were from Canada. He was, in fact, honoring his late mother, who died when he was 10, by playing for Canada when he suffered a slight hamstring injury. His actual team, the Los Angeles Dodgers, they think he will be ready to play on opening day, but it's a hamstring so who knows? Could be two weeks, could be two years. But thank goodness he was able to honor his parents by getting injured in a meaningless exhibition game. And thank goodness Edwin Diaz was able to celebrate playing for Puerto Rico and maybe never pitching again. Even though baseball went through a crisis in 2010 when a player named Kendris Morales of the Angels broke his leg and ruined his career by jumping up and down after an early season game was decided on a walk-off, and teams and players were warned never to let that happen again. Oh, sorry, we forgot. Baseball's owners and players and the TV propaganda network that baseball owns that makes Fox, quote, news, unquote, look objective, bent themselves into pretzel shapes yesterday, insisting the Diaz injury was just a freak accident. It was a freak accident. Could have happened any time. And how dare you criticize the World Baseball Classic and these guys' heritages? It's a freak accident. It could have happened anywhere, which assumes that in any year in which they did not play the World Baseball Classic, that perhaps the best relief pitcher in the game would be, you know, jumping up and down uncontrollably in a crowd of 10 or 20 of his teammates, also jumping up and down uncontrollably, and somebody steps on his knee or knocks him to the ground, and his career is over on March 15th after the Mets beat the Washington Nationals in a game in which Edwin Diaz would have pitched the fourth inning to tune up, and by the time of the celebration that wouldn't happen anyway, he would be in civilian clothes on the way back to the hotel. Or the idea that he could have done this by jumping up and down with 10 or 20 of his Mets teammates in the shower, at dinner, on a nearby trampoline. The hypocrisy of Major League Baseball is, of course, that most of the teams do whatever they can to keep their most fragile players, the pitchers mostly, from appearing in the World Baseball Classic for fear of more conventional injuries. The pitching staff of the American team is, in fact, made up mostly of third-level pitchers because you can't run the risk of injuring the star pitcher's arms. Their knees? Well, apparently that's a different story.
Since they first did this in 2009, played these exhibition games that interfere with the real team's preparations for the season ahead and risk a devastating injury like befell poor Diaz, I have thought that my opinions on the World Baseball Classic, A, how do you get to call something you just invented a classic, and B, it's not a classic, it's a career-ending injury waiting to happen. Oh, it just happened. I always thought my opinions would remain on the fringes because sports fans are now taught from the womb to make sure that as soon as they have any money, they must buy the uniform of their favorite player. And if his team wears 12 different uniforms in one season, they need to buy all 12 uniforms of their favorite player. And if he plays in the WBC, that would make 13. But I've never understood how the obvious way to silence the whiny old-timers like me had not been used. Play the damn thing after the Major League season, not before. After, when an injured player at least has the chance of recovering for the next actual baseball season. Of course, I know the answer to that. Baseball will not play the World Baseball Classic in November or December because that's football season. And the pressure would be on to play the championship somewhere other than here in the U.S., where it would be warm in November or December. As it is, barely anybody watches these games on TV here. Ratings have been dropping since the first tournament in 2009. And even the United States versus Canada the other night had just 721,000 viewers. And bluntly, any audience that I can approach in three weeks of this podcast or less is kind of sad. One can only imagine how bad the TV ratings would be in December. And that, of course, is what counts. That and making sure a player who may have ended his career by jumping up and down after winning the game that's only four games away from the championship, making sure he was wearing his uniform while he did it. Did I mention you can buy those uniforms on the baseball website? Still ahead, it was the greatest scoop of my professional career, and then the cameraman told us he forgot to roll videotape. Plus, the Thurber version of that, a short story called Nine Needles, coming up. First time for the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze Kellyanne Kahn job. It'll be kind of amazing if she ever appears on Fox Quote News again after a spectacular twofer yesterday. First, admitting the kind of thing that gets you banished from Fox and from Trump world forever and ever. In a debate about the GOP's desperate, flailing, eternal effort to make the Trumps look less like the whores they are by pinning something somewhere sometime on somebody named Biden, Commentator Juan Williams brought up Jared Kushner and the $2 billion he got from the Saudis while his father-in-law led the American junta. Kellyanne Conway replied, quote, Jared, of course, is the only person I think who has benefited in the billions with a B from the Trump presidency. That's for sure. Well, that's okay then. If it's just the one family member who palmed $2 billion during the wife's father's reign of terror, But then Conway went on with Hannity and announced last night, quote, People should know the news today because the White House is not going to tell them, Sean. It was revealed that China is sending body armor and other weapons of war to China. 
All the presses. Hot damn, Kellyanne has new alternative facts. China? Sending body armor to China? Do the Chinese know about this? Call Chairman Miao. The runner-up, and it was close, Politico, profiling Marianne Williamson's 2024 presidential campaign and wondering if she would repeat her problems with the abuse of her own staff that was seen during her 2020 campaign. And oh, by the way, which is mentioned in a People magazine profile of her from 1992. Let me just read this because I still can't believe I read it. Quote, Campaigns often use NDAs, that's non-disclosure agreements, to protect proprietary information from spilling out into the public. But former aides say Williamson's use of NDAs went beyond just her full-time campaign staff. Those aides said that Williamson's personal assistant traveled with NDAs readily available and would ask taxi drivers and other service industry workers to sign them if Williamson lost her temper in front of them. Williamson denied this charge, too. However, two former staffers said they witnessed this happen on separate occasions after Williamson started berating staff in cabs to and from fundraising and media events in New York, unquote. You know, I have to say, I've only signed one of these in my life, but I always thought you tried to get the person to sign the non-disclosure agreement before the bad thing happened, not after it happened. We tried to get that cabbie to sign an NDA. What happened? He said no. Damn! What do we do now? Do you think that's bad? She asked me out once. Another bullet dodged by KO. But our winner, and again, this is the only thing that could beat that. Ron DeSantis, Mr. If It Ain't Woke, Don't Fix It. He was profiled by the Daily Beast. And let me just read this, quote, Enshrined in DeSantis lore is an episode from four years ago. During a private plane trip from Tallahassee to Washington, D.C. in March of 2019, DeSantis enjoyed a chocolate pudding dessert by eating it with three of his fingers, according to two sources familiar with the incident, unquote. He ate his own fingers? Oh, no, I get it. By eating it and using three fingers to scoop the pudding into his pie hole. Would-be president of the United States eating pudding with his bare hands on a private jet class all the way. Ron, no, it's three fingers of scotch, pal. DeSantis, today's worst person in the world. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. 
Terminix can't help you run for office or take on the country's biggest problems, but they can help you solve one of the peskiest problems at home, pests. You know, the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, even the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know intricate political strategy, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. Now for my favorite topic, me, and some more things I promise not to tell, and I can hear him saying it still. Keith, who was Cardin Gillenwater? 30 years ago and more, I used to get phone calls from a viewer named Harry. Harry Ornest. Harry had once been a training camp stick boy for the long-forgotten National Hockey League franchise, the New York Americans. He later became a linesman. In the National Hockey League, he had stepped in as the owner of the nearly bankrupt St. Louis Blues. He owned the minor league baseball team in Vancouver and most notably the Toronto Argonauts of the Canadian Football League until he sold them to Wayne Gretzky and Gretzky's boss, the owner of the L.A. Kings, Bruce McNall, and the late John Candy. And Harry was one of those guys who knew everything going on with everyone in one sport. And Harry was a fan of my sportscasts. So he would call me at KCBS in Los Angeles and later at ESPN, and he would say, I am once again your source, Keith, for a story about Bruce McNall. You always mispronounce McNall. McNall. But I will only give you the story if you can tell me. And then he'd ask me a baseball trivia question. Keith, who was Cardin Gillenwater? This is pre-internet. No chance I could look Cardin Gillenwater up in a book and have Harry not hear me doing so over the phone. So I would have to give him my best answer. And usually I got these right. Cardin Gillenwater, and it's stuck in my head from somewhere, who knows when, was an obscure outfielder from the 1940s. Boston Braves, mostly. And one day, April 20th, 1991, in fact, when I got the trivia answer right... Harry said, would you happen to be going to the Los Angeles Kings playoff game tonight? And I said, matter of fact, I was. And Harry said, excellent, my friend. If you watch Mr. McNall's private box, you will see he will have a visitor, a Mr. Rahib Rocket Ismail from Notre Dame University. He went on to say Mr. McNall has just signed Mr. Ismail to a contract with the Toronto Argonauts, formerly owned by your source. And he said, I am led to believe it is for four years and $26 million. I am also led to believe a little over half of it is guaranteed. I am led to believe Mr. McNall will be announcing it tomorrow, just before the National Football League conducts its college draft. He's really going to piss them all off, isn't he? It would make Cardin Gillenwater shamed. Also, he would remind me, Mr. McNall has yet to pay me what he owes me for when I sold him the Toronto Argonauts. 
Rocket Ismail was not the best player available in the 1991 National Football League draft, which was to start the next morning, bright and early in New York. But he was the most exciting, a dynamic receiver and kick returner from Notre Dame. And while it was not certain that he would be chosen first overall by the Dallas Cowboys, it was likely, surely possible. And instead, he had signed with Toronto of the Canadian League? It seemed very, very unlikely. And on the other hand, Harry Ornest had never been wrong once with one of these story tips. So... My producer Ron Grelnick and I went to the Los Angeles Forum. We were going anyway as fans to the hockey playoff game. And he asked our assignment desk at KCBS to send us a camera crew because we were going to at least get video of Rocket Ismail at the Forum or leaving the Forum or something. It was some kind of story. And sure enough, from our seats, we could easily see into Bruce McNall's private box. And there, without a doubt, totally unrecognized by any of the L.A. hockey fans, was this Notre Dame football player, Rocket Ismail. He and McNall and the other executives seemed to be having a great time. And there was a lot of back slapping and beer drinking and whatnot. And I said to Ron, good God, we're going to break a huge story here, but they won't let us bring the cameraman in here to shoot video of Ismail and McNall's box. We're going to have to stake him out. We're going to have to get him after the game ends out in the parking lot somewhere. Ron smiled knowingly. Ron had once been an usher at the Great Western Forum. And I said, you know, I know all the secret ways out of here, he said to me. And I know all the limo drivers, and the limo drivers never change. Last time I was here, I said hi to half a dozen of them. Let me go find out which one is waiting for them. Within 15 minutes, Ron was back. Got it. He used to say that a lot. He found the limo driver who was sent to take Rocket Ismail back to the hotel, and he found out which side door out of about a thousand of them in this old arena the driver had been told to wait next to. I would have been back sooner, Ron said, but he wanted to show me pictures of his new baby. So now we used my cell phone, not a lot of cell phones in use in 1991, not even in L.A., to check on the camera crew, and we were told the cameraman would meet us in the parking lot at such and such an hour, and we told the assignment desk to have him park near this one side exit that we'd been told Esmail was going to use when the game was over. And then we waited. And with the Kings losing 3-2 to two to Edmonton early in the third period, just as we were planning to go out and meet up with the camera guy, the Kings tied the game up, and that screwed up everything. Because now the game might go into overtime and end suddenly, and it might end in five minutes, and it might end in five hours, and we might get caught in the crowd exiting the arena, and we might miss Rocket Ismail, or we might leave early, or who knows? And then as the overtime period began, I looked up at Bruce McNall's private box for like the 300th time that night, and I saw it. I saw Rocket Ismail yawning. Let's get out of here, I said to Ron. We left, we rendezvoused with the cameraman, and we rehearsed what we planned to do. Pure, obnoxious TV ambushing. We would hide across the street from the side exit. The windows around the door of that side exit would give us enough time to see him coming. And as soon as the door opened, I would step forward towards him. The cameraman would turn on his light and press play and record on his video deck. And I would essentially block Rocket Ismail, if I could, from getting into his limo. And I'd just start firing questions at him. The cameraman should never stop rolling. Keep rolling, I said. Who knows what we'll get. And how well it all worked. 
Within minutes of the start of the second overtime period, we saw Ismail and a Los Angeles Kings executive named Roy Malauker bound up the steps toward the side exit onto the street. And I waited until they were obscured behind the door. I shouted to the cameraman, roll! The cameraman threw on his light. We took a few steps from the parking lot across the street onto the sidewalk. Rocket, Keith Olbermann from Channel 2 Action News. Have you signed with the Toronto Argonauts? He said nothing. But he looked like I had just stolen his wallet. We understand you're getting $26 million for four years, about a half of it guaranteed. Is that correct? He now looked like he was a, an escaping prisoner who had just been identified. Rocket, why did you sign with the CFL before the NFL draft? Again, he said nothing. He did not need to. The look on his face confirmed everything I was asking him. Rocket, did you not want to play for the Dallas Cowboys? Still silence. It suddenly dawned on me that this guy might have finished second in the voting for college football's Player of the Year award, the Heisman Trophy, but he was having a lot of trouble getting around me and my 32-year-old, unathletic, six-foot-three-and-a-half, blubbery frame. Did Bruce McDowell give you a part of the franchise, Rocket? At which point I was finally gently and easily moved aside by somebody with him. Rocket Ismail slipped into the limo, whereupon my cameraman showing great perspicacity, dropped to his knees and pointed the camera inside the limo. We could see Ismail, thoroughly shaken, sitting next to the Kings executive, Roy Malaker. I shouted in one last perfect question to Malaker. Roy, is that a rocket in your pocket or are you just glad to see us? At which point, as if on cue, the limo door slammed and the driver peeled out of there with a huge screeching sound. The cameraman now turned off his life and a light, and my producer, Ron, and I started jumping up and down in the parking lot. We had not only gotten a terrific scoop, and the video would be on every CBS station in the country within hours, but we had done it with an interview in which the interviewee did not say a word, yet still gave away the whole story just with facial expressions and body language. Ron and I repeated these elements to each other and high-fived and celebrated until the cameraman suddenly said, hold on. I may have forgotten to roll tape. I looked at him and smiling. I said that it was fun to play with us like that, but he, he just shortened our lives by a year. And I didn't say play. Uh, I'm sorry, man. I, I, I'm not joking. Yeah, I, I, I forgot to roll. I'm sorry, man. Too, too bad. You ask great questions. Rocket in your pocket. <laughs> and the looks on his face. Damn. Sorry. Ron and I made him double-check and triple-check and quadruple-check, and when there was no more doubt, he had never hit play and record. We stood, forlorn, like a couple of guys who had just seen the winning lottery ticket blown out of their hands into the sewer or something. The cameraman packed up and left, and as Ron and I stood there silently, I wondered how it could possibly get worse, which is when... It started to rain. My great scoop, the interview in which the interviewee said nothing, that threw the National Football League draft into utter chaos, was now worthless. Bruce McNall, of course, would announce the signing of Rocket Ismail by his Toronto Argonauts. I would be able to phone into the CBS sports office in New York and give them a warning about the signing. Their overnight guy said, Thanks, and hung up on me. 
and I would phone into our all-news radio station, KNX, and I would do a live report from the parking lot outside the L.A. Forum about Rocket Ismail at 12.15 on Sunday morning as if anybody was listening and as if anybody who was listening could have possibly cared about Canadian football. For weeks thereafter, Ron Grelnick and I would be in conversation about something else when one of us would pause and say, can you believe he forgot to roll? The frequency of this dropped with time to once a month, then once a year. I last saw Ron in 2021. He and I told his wife the story, after which, involuntarily, the way a casualty of a long-forgotten battle will describe the shock of his injury half a century earlier, Ron said, Can you believe he forgot to roll? And I know, I know in my heart, that whether I live another week or another 40 years, one of the last things I will say to myself on this earth will take me back to that damp Saturday night in 1991 when I ambushed Rocket Ismail, but my cameraman ambushed me. Can you believe he forgot to roll? Still ahead on Countdown, Fridays with Thurber and a doubleheader. Two of the great sagas of man versus life. Man versus transportation in the fable of the mouse who went to the country, and man versus clutter and the attempt to cover it up. Nine needles. First, in each edition of Countdown, we feature a dog in need you can help. Every dog has its day. Archie in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. How do you shoot a dog? How do you shoot a dog in the leg? How do you shoot a puppy in the leg? Saving St. Louis Pets has the details of this little guy with the sad eyes. They pulled him out of a rural animal control pound in Missouri where he was suffering and beginning to get septic. They think they can save the leg, but it's not certain. It will take a little money, not all that much. What they need is your donation. Look for Archie at cuddly.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you run for office or take on the country's biggest problems, but they can help you solve one of the peskiest problems at home, pests. 
You know, the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, even the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know intricate political strategy, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Or look for Archie in my Twitter feeds and your retweets can help him as well. I thank you and Archie thanks you. number one story on the countdown and it's fridays with thurber and a lot of his work details the fundamental clash between people husband and wife he and various relatives a guy in a bed and a seal two animals representing any two humans in conflict but some of the most magical writing is the stuff that is just about one person alone against life One of his stories ends with a great-grandmother struggling with a butter churn and screaming into the void, Why doesn't somebody take this goddamn thing away from me? A line which I think could be the start of a national anthem somewhere. Such a story is Nine Needles, this week's selection, as you will see. It is a little short for our usual time frames here, so I'll give you a bonus. Another man-versus-life story afterwards, in the form of one of Thurber's fables for our time, The Mouse Who Went to the Country. But first, it's unlikely this event has ever happened to you, but the anxiety, that should be immediately familiar. Nine Needles, by James Thurber. One of the more spectacular minor happenings of the past few years, which I am sorry that I missed, took place in the Columbus, Ohio home of some friends of a friend of mine. It seems that a Mr. Albatross, while looking for something in his medicine cabinet one morning, discovered a bottle of a kind of patent medicine, which his wife had been taking for a stomach ailment. Now, Mr. Albatross is one of those apprehensive men who are afraid of patent medicines and of almost everything else. Some weeks before, he had encountered a paragraph in a consumer's research bulletin, which announced that this particular medicine was bad for you. He had thereupon ordered his wife to throw out what was left of her supply of the stuff and never buy any more. She had promised, and here now was another bottle of the perilous liquid. Mr. Albatross, a man given to quick rages, shouted the conclusion of the story at my friend. I threw the bottle out the bathroom window and the medicine chest after it. It seems to me that must have been a spectacle worth going a long way to see. I am sure that many a husband has wanted to wrench the family medicine cabinet off the wall and throw it out the window, if only because the average medicine cabinet is so filled with mysterious bottles and unidentifiable objects of all kinds that it is a source of constant bewilderment and exasperation to the American male. 
surely the British medicine cabinet and the French medicine cabinet and all the other medicine cabinets must be simpler and better ordered than ours. It may be that the American habit of saving everything and never throwing anything away, even empty bottles, causes the domestic medicine cabinet to become as cluttered in its small way as the American attic becomes cluttered in its major way. I have encountered few medicine cabinets in this country which were not packed jammed with something between 150 and 200 different items, from dental floss to boracic acid, from razor blades to sodium perborate, from adhesive tape to coconut oil. Even the neatest wife will put off clearing out the medicine cabinet on the ground that she has something else to do that is more important at that moment, or more diverting. It was in the apartment of such a wife and her husband that I became enormously involved with a medicine cabinet one morning not long ago. I had spent the weekend with this couple. They live on East 10th Street near 5th Avenue. Such a weekend as left me reluctant to rise up on Monday morning with bright and shining face and go to work. They got up and went to work, but I didn't. I didn't get up until about uh, 2.30 in the afternoon. I had my face all lathered for shaving and the washbowl was full of hot water when suddenly I cut myself with the razor. I cut my ear. Very few men cut their ears with razors, but I do possibly because I was taught the old Spencerian free wrist movements by my writing teacher in the grammar grades. The ear bleeds rather profusely when cut with a razor and is difficult to get at. More angry than hurt, I jerked open the door of the medicine cabinet to see if I could find a styptic pencil and out fell from the top shelf a little black paper packet containing nine needles. It seems that his wife kept a little paper packet containing nine needles on the top shelf of the medicine cabinet. The packet fell into the soapy water of the wash bowl where the paper rapidly disintegrated, leaving nine needles at large in the bowl. I was, naturally enough, not in the best condition, either physical or mental, to recover nine needles from a wash bowl. No gentleman who has lather on his face and whose ear is bleeding is in the best condition for anything, even something involving the handling of nine large blunt objects. It did not seem wise to me to pull the plug out of the washbowl and let the needles go down the drain. I had visions of clogging up the plumbing system of the house and also a vague fear of causing short circuits somehow or other. I know very little about electricity, and I don't want to have it explained to me. Finally, I groped very gently around the bowl and eventually had four of the needles in the palm of one hand and three in the palm of the other. Two, I couldn't find. If I had thought quickly and clearly, I wouldn't have done that. A lathered man whose ear is bleeding and who has four wet needles in one hand and three in the other may be said to have reached the lowest known point of human efficiency. There is nothing he can do but stand there. I tried transferring the needles in my left hand to the palm of my right hand, but I couldn't get them off my left hand. Wet needles cling to you. In the end, I wiped the needles off onto a bath towel which was hanging on a rod above the bathtub. It was the only towel that I could find. I had to dry my hands afterward on the bath mat. 
Then I tried to find the needles in the towel. Hunting for seven needles in a bath towel is the most tedious occupation I have ever engaged in. I could find only five of them. With the two that had been left in the bowl, that meant there were four needles in all missing. Two in the wash bowl and two others lurking in the towel or lying in the bathtub under the towel. Frightful thoughts came to me of what might happen to anyone who used that towel or washed his face in the bowl or got into the tub if I didn't find the missing needles. Well, I didn't find them. I sat down on the edge of the tub to think, and I decided finally that the only thing to do was to wrap up the towel in a newspaper and take it away with me. I also decided to leave a note for my friends explaining as clearly as I could that I was afraid there were two needles in the bathtub and two needles in the washbowl and that they better be careful. I looked everywhere in the apartment, but I could not find a pencil or a pen or a typewriter. I could find pieces of paper, but nothing with which to write on them. I don't know what gave me the idea a movie I had seen, perhaps, or a story I had read, but I suddenly thought of writing a message with lipstick. The wife might have an extra lipstick lying around, and if so, I concluded it would be in the medicine cabinet. I went back to the medicine cabinet and began poking around in it for a lipstick. I saw what I thought looked like the metal tip of one, and I got two fingers around it and began to pull gently. It was under a lot of things, Every object in the medicine cabinet began to slide. Bottles broke in the wash bowl and on the floor. Red, brown, and white liquids spurted. Nail files, scissors, razor blades, and miscellaneous objects sang and clattered and tinkled. I was covered with perfume, peroxide, and cold cream. It took me half an hour to get all the debris all together in the middle of the bathroom floor. I made no attempt to put anything back in the medicine cabinet. I knew it would take a steadier hand than mine and a less shattered spirit. Before I went away, only partly shaved and abandoned the shambles, I left a note saying that I was afraid there were needles in the bathtub and the wash bowl, and that I had taken their towel, and that I would call up and tell them everything. I wrote it in iodine with the end of a toothbrush. I have not yet called up, I am sorry to say. I have neither found the courage, nor thought up the words to explain what happened. I suppose my friends believe that I deliberately smashed up their bathroom and stole their towel, I don't know for sure, because they have not yet called me up either. Nine Needles by James Thurber. And as I suggested, in a broad sense, on the same subject, from his Fables for Our Time and Famous Poems Illustrated, The Mouse Who Went to the Country by James Thurber. Once upon a Sunday, there was a city mouse who went to visit a country mouse. He hid away on a train the country mouse had told him to take, only to find that on Sundays it did not stop at Beddington. Hence, the city mouse could not get off at Beddington and catch a bus for Seibert's Junction, where he was to be met by the country mouse. The city mouse, in fact, was carried on to Middleburg, where he waited three hours for a train to take him back. When he got back to Beddington, he found out that the last bus for Siebert's Junction had just left, 
So he ran and he ran and he ran, and he finally caught the bus and crept aboard only to find that it was not the bus for Seabridge Junction at all, but was going in the opposite direction, through Pell's Hollow and Grum to a place called Wimberby. When the bus finally stopped, the city mouse got out into a heavy rain and found that there were no more buses that night going anywhere. To the hell with it, said the city mouse, and he walked back to the city. Moral? Stay where you are. You're sitting pretty. The Mouse Who Went to the Country by James Thurber. I've done all the damage I can do here, much of it to myself. Thank you for listening. Here are the credits. Most of the music was arranged, produced, and performed by Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel, who are the Countdown Musical Directors. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray, produced by TKO Brothers. Our Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by No Horns Allowed. The sports music is the Olbermann theme from ESPN2. It was written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Inc. Musical comments from Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was my friend Kenny Maine, and everything else is pretty much my fault. So that's Countdown for this, the 801st day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Arrest him now while we still can. The next scheduled Countdown is Monday, hoping for a full new episode after this non-COVID bug. Thank you for bearing with me today. This is about the best I can do under the circumstances. Till Monday, I hope. I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night. And good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it, Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.